Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. I think you'll agree, Aaron, that we're both quite excited to be in the location that we're in today to record this podcast. We've been meaning to get over to West Virginia's eastern panhandle since COVID days, but we just haven't made it. Well, that ends today as we're sitting down here at Abolitionist Ale Works in Charlestown, West Virginia, which is about a five-hour drive from our home base. Abolitionist is a brewery that follows a bit of a different drummer, and it's pretty unique for our market. It produces beers with different methods and different equipment than your typical contemporary West Virginia brewery. And I'll have to say that we love it. Charles, Abolitionist Ale Works is a place I've been dying to visit but just haven't had the chance. So I'm very happy we could be here today with brewery co-owner and head brewer, Mike Vance. Mike, welcome back to West Virginia Beer Roads in person this time. Thanks for having me and thanks for coming up. Well, Mike, it's taken us a couple of years to get over here, but I'm really looking forward to talking with you today on the podcast. How have things been going for you guys at Abolitionist Ale Works? Uh, It's been good. Um, You know, I think um, after the pandemic, you know, we've had struggles, but, you know, there's positives with that. Um, you know, I feel we had to get out, out of our comfort zone as you see all the beer labels and can in my hand. So I, you know, I think a lot of good things have happened. Um, and you know, I, I, I like, I've always just wanted to have like this small town kind of feel in my brew pub. So, you know, I still feel that here and, and I'm, Really, really appreciative of that. Mike, before we get into this podcast, I can see you have some beer out for us to sample today. So I would like for you to please introduce that. Well, uh, I picked uh, Beardy Mars. I figured um, tis the season for that. Um, I wanted to show this one because we, we did talk about interpretation of different styles. And, you know, I like to show my interpretation of what I think this style should be. Something a little bit more... Um, Easy drinking, going into spring, you know, kind of like a light beardy guard. Yeah, but I think for a lot of our listeners that may not be familiar with this, um, mm-hmm. you know, the March beer style, yeah. could you explain a little bit how it's made and what's in it? Yeah, it's definitely a style you don't see made much. Um, so I, I did one last year. I did with um, lemon zest and rose hips. This year I, I decided just to, you know, keep it regular, um, the straightforward. Um, it's definitely a style that has a lot of different interpretations. Um, so it's an old style, French style that was brought back, and they started brewing it more stronger, like 6%. And obviously American brewers have kind of put their own spin on it. Um, but you don't see too many too many um, breweries actually doing it. So, yeah. Is there any brewery in particular that you kind of patterned this or inspired you to make this style? No, I mean, not really. Um, you know, I would try, like, Jolly Pumpkins, um, um, interpretation of it, which is a little bit more funkier and sour. Um, this one, you get a little bit more barrel character, um, a little bit oak, but then you get that kind of like uh, fruity, um, almost citrusness, almost kind of more um, a, a fresh, fresher. Uh, so really, it's pretty much um, like brewed in winter and just kind of in the barrel for a couple months. So like brewed in January, you know, and then I'm usually kegging it by, you know, March. It's got some fantastic color. Yeah, so it's kind of a quick turnaround, um, something that's like easy, uh, more approachable, which I feel the style should be. Um, 
you know, being a, you know, spring beer. So, you know, and I figured, you know, the last week of March is always good to get that out. Yeah, here we are in the last week of March recording this podcast. Well, you know, Mike, people from uh, other places may not realize that little West Virginia is so spread out into mm-hmm. sort of diverse sections, you know. And I mean, Aaron and I live over in Charleston, West Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Abolitionist is over here in Charlestown, West mm-hmm. Virginia. It's about almost a five-hour drive, you know, from, from where we live. Um, so, you know, you've spent a good bit of time now here in Charlestown mm-hmm. brewing at uh, Abolitionist, and I wonder if you could just describe for our listeners what the local beer market's like over here in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. Yeah, uh, Charlestown, that's two words, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of people put it yeah, one word. Even right. some of the signs, the roadsides coming from Shepherdstown, it's one word, so... Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I feel like the beer market definitely here is definitely more neglected than your guys' area, definitely for West Virginia beers. Um, there, there's there been a few times where I see people like, well, we can't get their beer. And, you know, and for me, it's just like, well, we can't get probably 75% of the beer that you guys get. I mean, we can't get Weathered Ground. We can't right. get Bad Shepherd. I mean, unless I drive, drive there and pick it up or, right. or meet sure, somewhere. Sure. Well, I mean, um, most parts of the world except for larger breweries mm-hmm. beer is local yeah and that's a good thing yeah. really you, mm-hmm. you need to travel sometimes to go get the beer that's different yeah. because uh, yeah go, going back to that opening question that's kind yeah. of what i wanted i wanted something local mm-hmm. you know for that for my my hometown yeah and i always wanted to bring it back home because i felt like this area needed it yeah but and, i mean i know you're right next to uh loudon county virginia mm-hmm. and that's a huge yeah. You know, beer market these days in yeah. Northern Virginia across the board. Even Maryland, I guess, has grown a lot in recent years in, yeah. in breweries. And, and you're sitting here right nestled in between all those. Yeah, places. Virginia's been booming for years, and so yeah, that's been kind of you know the rough part because like you, which I think I've talked about before, is like mm-hmm. we're not really in the West Virginia market, and we're not in this like booming Virginia market. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of like stuck in the middle, in between. And for me, even starting, I kind of wanted to do something different. Because, you know, I had to do, I felt like I had to, to stand out with, you know, the Maryland, Virginia breweries. And well, this, this part of West Virginia is officially part of the Washington, D.C. metro area. So talk about the influence of the metro market on the beers that you decide to brew. Yeah, so probably when I opened, um, you know, it's definitely the hazy boom was going on. And like Northern Virginia, that's pretty much almost all you can get. Or, you know, like the real sweet sours. Um, so, you know, I kind of wanted it to, you know, do it a different way and and not just do it a different way. It's kind of the way I like to do it, mm-hmm. kind of the way I like to brew. So, you know, I just kind of just, you know, just pretty much did it the way I wanted to do it. And I, I think it I think it worked out. Um, I mean, I did probably weed out those hazy crowd probably a little too early. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you start seeing seeing the shift in like the beer scene. You know, the West Coast, the Pale Ales, the American Stouts. You can even find American Stout now. There for a while, you couldn't find anything but, like, a 13% Imperial Stout. Um, but, the, you know, the light beers are definitely making a comeback. Um, but in this area, that's re- really what it was, was the hazy IPAs. And we took a vacation up to Portland, Maine, and I was kind of blown away about, like, almost all the breweries there had the variety, a lot of mixed culture beers. Mm-hmm. And everything, like, they had the variety, like, what I always kind of, like, wanted to do. And it wasn't just, like, you know, 
10 hazies on tap. Right. Yeah. Um, so they had a little bit of They actually had, the IPAs was like probably, probably the least of what we found. We found a lot of the farmhouse beers, um, you know, just a bunch of different style beers, which I thought was like really cool you know, compared yeah. to Northern Virginia. And that's kind of what you've then tried to do here in Charlestown, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Mike, I know you get out to the local beer festivals in other parts of the state, and you're quite familiar with the Morgantown, West Virginia area from having worked a number of years at Morgantown Brewing. I'm curious, how would you describe the differences between what people like to drink over here and how that might differ from market preferences in other parts of West Virginia that you get to? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally different. Like the Charlestown, Huntington area, I think is different than Morgantown. Um, you know, I think I think in Morgantown, the market's probably a little bit more fickle, you know, because you got a lot of the students. Right. Um, in Huntington, I feel like they're the only ones that want, like, the funky stuff. Um, and so they, they've kind of embraced me a lot because, you know, I would, you know, brew those type of beers. And, like, around here, you know, I, you know, I definitely didn't sell as much. Um, you know, so we even uh, – we, we actually sold – because we have a license in Maryland, we can actually self-distribute over in Maryland. Oh. And still, like, you know, over there, they kind of just want, you know, IPAs and, you know, easy drink and stuff. So mm-hmm. a lot that's what a lot of people want. Um, and But when I see what, like, Morgantown Brewing Company is doing now with, you know, with the sours, the kind of – and I feel like they're marketing to, like, the, the school. I agree. Or, like, the students, more like the, you know. Sure. And I think that's the way to go. And I think, I think they've made a nice little niche there. Mm-hmm. Even though that's not really my style, but I think, I think it's a nice little niche that they, they did. Um, and – but, you know, down – definitely the Charleston, Huntington area, I think is the best beer area in West Virginia, hands down. Well, I know um, Jeff McKay down at – uh, Summit Beer Station in Huntington's certainly a fan of uh, your beers. Yeah, yeah, he's probably he's the one that you know that really started a lot of you know these different beers. I think people in Huntington, you know, they want that variety. They want those different beers because he introduced them to that you know all those funky beers. And at the time, back then, it was like you know that was like the hotness. You know, the barrel age, like right. sours, funky stuff. Right. Um, so obviously, that's all changing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's done that, and you, you see, you know, other people, you know, other places around that area kind of open more of those beer bars, which I think it's something It's amazing what he's done with the, a beer bar without food. Yes. You know, um, I think now he maybe has some food offerings, but. Very but, little, yeah. Yeah, but I, I just feel like it's hard to, you know, have a beer bar without, like, you know, food offerings. Uh, right. I agree. Or, or options. Uh. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we don't really see sales figures, certainly, from – abolitionist ale works or any of the small breweries in the state but i'd just like to really ask you how have things recovered from the pandemic here i mean you're now a couple years past the worst of pandemic anyway and uh, a lot some places have been seeing a lot of growth other places have still struggled a little bit i'm just kind of curious you know what the the effect's been here on your sales oh i mean yeah we've definitely seen uh sales drop um the first two years, you know, were really good, uh, and and it, and it really kind of goes back to everything. Like people like what's new, so you know when sure. you're new, and I see a lot of a lot of these new breweries pop um, opening up and they're getting really busy, and then like you know they uh, falls off, and they, they upgrade or expand a little too quick, and then they can't really keep up with it. Um, so you know, I mean, I didn't really want to do that. I kind of wanted to, you know, you know 
keep it small and and so you know we we can kind of you know go in any direction we want you know we're not we're not um you know worried about making a loan payment every you know every month because we've pretty much pretty much had everything paid off the first six months yeah so. that's got to be a nice feeling that yeah. you, know, you can yeah. weather upturns and downturns whichever yeah. way the market goes and then uh, you know my brother purchased the building so you know we own the building mm -hmm. and so like you know that was a, that that helped us out a lot so really our only liability when you know everything was shut down was pretty much our employees we wanted to make sure they were taken care of sure um, yeah, so i know you sell of course probably most of your production comes right through your own brew pub here mm -hmm. in charlestown and um but i think you have been doing a little bit of more distribution mm -hmm. uh could you talk a little bit about how that's going for you yeah i mean this year i really haven't done much but last year i probably i probably uh because once the pandemic hit and like draft stopped stopped flowing because that was our bread and butter was draft beer mm -hmm. you know that's what we made all our money from we barely sold anything you know we we sold some kegs here and there obviously no package stuff mm -hmm. no cans you know maybe a bottle here and there mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe I would have like one bottle release a year and, <laughs> yeah. and so, so when the draft stopped flowing, you know, that was what was difficult. And, and then, but last year I actually ended up, I sold, uh, we ended up, we sold more kegs, distributed more kegs than we did in 17, 18, 19, 20 and uh, 21. So 22 was, we sold the most case. So it really yeah. recovered for the Yeah, but I actually took more, I took more um, trips down to the, to the Huntington area. So that helped out. And, you know, it, for me, that was always kind of a chore, you know, cause you know how long that drive is. Yes. Oh, my, it's a lot yes. of work, but you know, I kind of like, well, it's fun. You know, I can go down there, you know, visit some cool places, drink sure. some good beer, eat some good food. So I've been kind of like, you know, thinking of it as like a little mini vacation. So I took more trips down there last year. And so, yeah, we did sell a little bit more. Well, let's talk about what you're seeing in your tap room with differences in sales by beer style. What are you selling the most of overall right now? Oh, man, probably the Pilsner. The Pilsner is probably the one that probably sells the most. Obviously, the hoppy beers. But, um, you know, when I first started, I only pretty much brewed the Alpha Male. And that was it. And that's and, an IPA. Yes. Yeah. And then... I did like a session IPA and I did like other hoppy style beers, but just not with like the IPA name. But now I'm brewing a little bit more IPA. So, you know, all the IPAs move a little slower, but like the pills, you know, the pills is probably the one that's been, that sells the most. And, and then like cans, you know, the Imperial Stouts still move really good. Do you see the um, IPA boom ever tailing off? Uh, I don't, I don't think so, but you know, you, you definitely see, you know, these more like regular simple beers you know making a comeback uh definitely you know the lighter beers so those are the most significant changes in style preferences that you've seen here at your tap room yeah so really if you i mean even going back from the beginning um you know hoppy beers and light drinkings were the top two you know so but you're definitely seeing a little the light drinking definitely you know overtaking the hoppy you know, I think there are, I think it's true. I think that some people are burnt out from the hops. And, you know, I think the days of, you know, dumping 44 pound bags <laughs> and a barrel of beer, bags of hops into a barrel of beer, I think those are, you know, you're not going to see as much as that as you used to. Um, I think people are getting a little burnt out by, like, you know, the really heavy hops. I think balance is going to come back. Mm -hmm. um, well, I wouldn't say come back. I think it's always been there. Yeah. 
Um, you know, because if you look at it, like the real dry hop beers, like the hazy IPAs, you know, they're balanced with sweetness. So to balance all those hops, you got that sweetness to balance it. So, you know, so usually, you know, the West Coast, you know, you got drier, but, you know, you got that bitterness. So I, you know, I don't know, I guess to me, I guess the older I get, the more I want that bitterness and, you know, I want that more bitter bite. So, you know, to me, you know, it still has a malt backbone. It's just not, you know, all that sugar. So you, you actually get a little bit of the hot flavor and the back malt backbone with, you know, a, a little, a definitely a, a bigger um, bitter back end, which I feel like that's coming back. Well, you've always been an advocate of more wild or natural fermented beer styles and sour beer styles. How are those styles going for you today? Um, you know, those are probably the slowest selling uh, but you know, I still, I still make them. That's kind of, you know, what I like the most. And if I'm going to keep doing this, I want to still, you know, I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy the something about, you know, the barrel farm, even the barrel fermentation, you know, adding like the mixed cultures, you know, kind of taking that leap of faith and, and, you know, giving it time, let, let it develop mm-hmm. instead of just like, you know, giving up on something real quick. Cause I, I, I know, I know some brewers will, not given enough time and it's like, all right, let's just dump this. But sometimes you give something some time, it can turn, it can be really beautiful. Yeah, I think you've been one of the leading brewers in our state with those techniques. Mm-hmm. So there haven't been a ton of others mm-hmm. who certainly have taken it as seriously as you have in, with the wild fermentations and mm-hmm. things. Yeah, so, so when, with the barrel beers, I mean, I think there's, you know, I guess it go, going back to the balance thing where I think a lot of people think that just because it's like, you know, a farmhouse or, or a barrel-aged beer that it has to be puckering sour. Um, so you got, you got you have this group of people that want like something really sour and then you want somebody who doesn't want any, something really sour. So I, I'll have people that will even try the West Funk Virginia like, oh, I was expecting it to be more sour. Yeah, yeah But, sure. you know, I try, to, I try to be, you know, I try to balanced. be balanced with the acidity. You know, I don't want to just something just, you know, sour for the sake of being sour. It's like, you know, like just like eating hot wings. I want some flavor in there. I don't want right. something just hot for the sake of being hot. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, Britannomyces uh, yeah. fermentation as well as the lactobacillus and yeah. the pediococcus yeah. that, <laughs> that can yeah. make beer's more sour up yeah. front. You know. So yeah, you know, that with like, you know, some O2 exposure. Um, and, and like even, even like all my imperial stouts, they're all barrel fermented. So, you know, uh, that's, I think something a lot of people don't realize. Yeah. Well, realize. let me, let me jump in here, Mike, because yeah, I'm always impressed. I walk into your little brewery area mm-hmm. and I see that you are actually fermenting a lot of your beers right in the barrels, these wooden barrels and fooders and things, and which is not all that common in small brewers, mm. you know, certainly around our area. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely makes it a little bit more difficult, but when I started, uh, you know, I only started with like a few like plastic tanks and then a bunch <laughs> of like, you know, uh, oak barrels. And so that's, you know, that I use fermented in all of them. And so, and I, I don't know. I just, you know, something about it. I just like the art, you know, of the, you know, of um, fermentation when it, with oak, you know, when it comes to wine, you know, even, even like, you know, whiskeys, which they're obviously not fermenting in the barrels, but, um, <laughs> yeah. But like wines can be fermented in their barrels, you know, they do the aging. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, and, and when it comes to like Bretomyces, I feel like Bretomyces was kind of that, you know, that yeast that like, 
that a lot of people kind of pushed to the side and kind of like, you know, demonized. Yeah, they didn't want it. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, that's kind of when the industry started taking over. And I would say, you know, a long time ago, and they found out ways to make the beer a little bit more consistent. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people don't use the bread of because it's not consistent. It's, you know, you know, one batch, you know, you're going to get these beautiful, like tropical fruit flavors in the next batch, you know, you might get a lot of medicinal and like barnyard, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so they're different. Um, and I, I've had some some fun um, some fun um, moments with customers. So I had this really pale the funky Hapu Sapien bright IPA. This one batch was like so funky, and and I was like, man, I was like, I don't know if I can serve this. <laughs> and so I bring it home to my wife, and and she's just like, oh, this is really good. Or like at first she was like, well, I don't know. And then then the next day she's like, hey, can you bring more of that home? And so like, she oh, really liked it. Yeah. So yeah. and then. And then, so I put it on tap, and the customer comes in. One one girl's drinking, and the guy was like, "I can't drink that." She's like, "Just try it." And the guy tries it. He's like, "Oh, I don't know if I can do this." And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I might just dump that batch." And the, the, the next day, the guy comes in. The same the same guy comes back in. He's like, "Man, I've been thinking about that all day. I want <laughs> I want one of those." So I thought that, was, and the wife did the same thing. That's so. funny. So you need it's to really, think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like once you get used to some of those flavors, like you do kind of start craving it. It's like, you know, that funky cheese. You ever had that really funky like oh, goat yeah. cheese? Oh, yes. Where you're like, oh, I don't know if I can eat this, but you just keep going back like, to yes, it. Yes, that's really good. It's, it's crazy. You just keep going back to it. So I think some of those beers are similar to that. Well, yeah, you know? it's a brewer's. Uh, like you who dabble in the dark arts, you have yeah. to be willing and uh, to accept those variations and, and, yeah. and, and embrace them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think flaws are beautiful, and I think we, <laughs> we live in a society where, you know, we we teach that flaws are not beautiful, and for me, I think flaws are beautiful. I agree. So do you see these wild or natural fermented beer styles and sour beer styles trending either up or down? Uh, yeah, they're definitely trending down. I mean, I think a lot of the, a lot of breweries are, like, getting rid of their sour programs. Um, you know, that's happening. Uh, you know, they, just, they don't sell. They just bottleneck, and... And I, you know, for me, I've been trying to just kind of almost kind of focus this on like on the West Funk in Virginia, which I don't know, that's something I've always kind of liked. Because mm-hmm. um, when I started, I was like, you know what, I, I kind of wanted to also do that to say like, you know, hey, you know, we're in West Virginia, you know, we can do beers differently here too. Sure, sure. And it was kind of like, you know, like, hey, you know. Yeah. And for people that haven't had West Funk in Virginia, explain a little bit about that. And also, I know you have a series of variants of, yeah. of that style now or of so, that beer. So that was kind of the name was like on you know WVU they would kids would wear the shirt and so I kind of wanted to take like a negative and turn it into a positive and it just seemed fitting for something with a wild West Virginia yeast that is funky and it just it just seemed fitting um, so I kind of ran with it and you know it's still kind of you know so we have the t-shirts uh, cans um, so the cans you know I have. Because once the pandemic started, it was pretty much like, we're, we were pretty much like, all right, let's get a label of everything, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I remember listening to the Weather Ground uh, interview, and he pretty much said the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like, that's what you had to do. It was like, it's like, what beers do we have in inventory? Let's get a label of all of them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the West Virginia ones were easy. We just slapped you know, the state of West Virginia, West Funk Virginia logo on it, and different colors and fruits. So peach lavender, basil mango. Ooh, we just actually went home and drank the blackberry sage, and that beer is that, that beer is beautiful. I think so. Hey, um, so do you think you could bring out one of those for us to try? Okay. Uh, pick, take your pick, and then uh, let you describe it for us. Um, I brought out the blackberry sage, West Funk, Virginia blackberry sage, and 
you know, this is one of my fl- favorite um, um, flavor combinations. Um, you know, I, uh, so I, I usually like to put this out during Funksgiving, which was Funksgiving was, you know, that first year we were open, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving fell on my birthday, and I was like, you know, hey, it's my birthday. I want to brew what I want to. I'm going to put on what I want to. And and so, you know, we did the Funksgiving where I put on a bunch of funky beers. And over the years, it kind of stuck, and we, we do it every year. And I kind of want to incorporate more, like, food-type beers, you know. So, like, Blackberry Sage. Uh, I did the Pear Sage, um, Saison, which is one of my favorites. So I just think this works really good with uh, the West Funk of Virginia, which is a barrel-aged American wild ale. Uh, you get that little acidity that I think helps the, the, the sage pop a little more. But the sage is, is still pretty balanced. It's not over the top. And, then, you know, the blackberries, you know, add a little bit of that, uh, you know, berry berry sweetness. And, you know, because, like, compared to, like, raspberries, raspberries are a little bit more tart. Blackberry has a little bit more, uh, like, sweetness to it. It's got some great aroma. Yeah, so yeah, one of one of my my wife's favorites too. So yeah, I mean the balance here between the fruit touch in there, as well as that sage that's to me a little in the background, and when to me when you swallow this and it comes up into your nose, the yeah. you get a little of that sage touch, but mm-hmm. it's not at all overpowering. Yeah. And sometimes no. I think those mm-hmm. kinds of uh, well, you know, those sagey things could mm-hmm. be. Yeah, and, and from the beginning, I kind of wanted to make every all these beers kind of approachable, mm-hmm. which I think when you're when people read it, they get a little scared. They're like, "Wow, why <laughs> is there lavender in this?" Which you can't expect everybody like lavender in a beer. Sure. So I think a lot of people. That's why a lot of people think I'm weird because I like lavender in a beer, and but like sage, like basil, rosemary, uh, you know. I think you know even when you do it, they they it should still be approachable. <laughs> And just a reminder, you're listening to the West Virginia Beer Roads podcast. I'm Charles Bachway, along with co-host Aaron McCoy, and our guest today is Mike Vance, head brewer and co-owner at Abolitionist Ale Works in Charlestown, West Virginia. So to move this interview along, Mike, I'd like to hear you address a topic that we hear a lot about down in Charleston, West Virginia, especially when the legislature's in town and they've just, uh, no, not too long ago, weeks ago, wrapped up the session for this year, the legislative session. You know, there's a lot of state laws and regulations that we have to deal with in operating a brewery and uh, just kind of get your take, uh, the current take, you know, uh, 2023. Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, things that need fixed or issues that come from like uh, the legislation or the regulations of, of beer? Um, not really. I mean, I try to stay out of the politics, um, you know, and keep my mouth shut. Um, obviously, after a few Blackberry Sage, right. it'll be a, it'll probably a, be a different, different story. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you know, I, I feel like I feel like we we're we, you know we're almost there. Um, you know, you're starting to see all these beers come in. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, it goes back to I remember they were fighting, you know, about changing stuff back when I was at Morgan and Brewing Company and the whole gro- the growler thing. And I remember we ended up having to like seal the growlers and write the thing, and we didn't want to do that. And you know, because it was more work for us. But now I look at it, it does make the growlers look a little bit more presentable. Mm-hmm. And because at first, like, you know, yeah. I, w- I wanted to be hard headed. I'm just going to use tape. And then when I actually did it, did it right, I was like, this does look a lot better. Mm-hmm. So it does. So, you know, there's that. I mean, yeah, there's nothing I can really think of. Um, honestly, I, I, it'd be nice if we could do contract brewing. So that's something 
that we dabbled before and we got the letters said we can't do that anymore which you know our neighbors right here in maryland virginia they can do it yeah you know they can they can easily get you know i know that virginia breweries are getting beer from the maryland breweries mm-hmm. and yeah, so. I think it's probably something that you're much more aware of here in the panhandle right between Maryland mm-hmm. and Virginia. Both have thriving local beer markets uh, in this region, and you're going to see those comparisons. And at times, I'm sure you, more so than folks where I live, will notice the issues that come, you know, that you're not on an even keel maybe always. Yeah, so it was funny. when I went to uh, Virginia Beach uh, last summer, and we were at this – I forgot what the place was called – but as soon as we got up there ordering a drink, the guy was like, oh, he, I guess it came that we own a brewery. He was like, oh, I'm the lawyer for the Virginia craft brewers, and he's the one who got the contract brewing pass for all them. He's like, call me up. And so and I, I do remember that, and I think I still have his card somewhere. But, That's interesting. But, yeah, he said because uh, Virginia breweries weren't able to do that a few years ago. And it's, these laws have recently been passed in the last decade, you know, so – they definitely the laws have been definitely more more um, friendlier right, in Virginia right. going forward, and you can see, you know, the boost it's given to the economy over there. So, uh, let's go beyond uh, uh, legislation and things like that. Though uh, you run a very small brewery here, and, and which is pretty typical in our part of the world in West Virginia, a lot of small breweries that uh, have probably uh, issues common in common with other small breweries anywhere and i was just kind of curious so what are some of the things though that here that are your largest challenges in keeping things moving ahead i don't know if it would be you know the grain orders hops brewing schedules just hit a few of those yeah just this location you know in this small town this little downtown area historic downtown area i mean it's as hard to get freight orders in and that's probably the biggest challenge uh, it's very stressful every time I order a pallet. It's a pallet anything, especially a pallet of a ton of grain. Um, there's times that where I've had to meet them two blocks down the road with my pickup truck. So, like, I'm hauling it twice. And so that that's probably the worst uh, around here in, in our area. And I think that a lot of people don't recognize, I mean, this is a small business, so it has a lot of the issues in common with any small business, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of challenges you have with a small group of people that run it. Uh, and, and there's things that, because it's a fairly new industry still, mm-hmm. and certainly when you are the first brewery in a town like you were, I think, uh, people don't know, you know, what it's about and all the challenges, and they may think, oh, it's just a fun place to be and to run, but there are a lot of every kind of issue that, including like maybe working with local government, and I guess how have your relations been here in Charlestown with the city and county folks? Yeah, we uh, they've been good from the beginning. I know they, they wanted to bring a brewery in here, and, you know, they we didn't have any problems. Um, you know, honestly, I, I feel like the TTB process, the state process, and then, you know, dealing with the town, that that, that it wasn't as difficult as I imagined it would be. Um, oh, that's dude, good. Yeah, that's positive. Obviously, I thought the TTB was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, obviously, it took its time. Um, but, you know, I, you know, we put it in early, you know, while we were still kind of like building. You know, we were proactive about it. And I think that helped. And the TTB is the federal regulatory yeah. agency that governs uh, brewing. Yeah, and then, and then as soon as we got that, the state came here and, you know, took a look. And then, yeah, 
issued a license right away. So it was it was easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we we definitely um, you know submitted everything ahead of time. That, well in advance. Know, and gave yeah. ourselves time. Yeah. Well, do you have any big changes or additions already in the works here at Abolitionist Works? Um, no, not currently at this location. Um, you know, a few years ago before 2020 or right, right around that time, my brother was looking to open another location, you know, tap room, ale house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously that fell through when, you know, everything hit the fan. And, but I think that's the way to go, you know, another location, another tap house, kind of what like sh uh, short stories doing, mm -hmm. um, I haven't been to the new their new uh, Charlestown location, but I did go to the uh, the Deep Creek, and mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go. I let that business model. I think yeah. that's a pretty popular business model. Yeah, it is. I mean, we have now, in, even in our small West Virginia market overall, mm -hmm. we have a number of our breweries that have, uh, you know, they have their main brewery, and then they're supplying other tap rooms or restaurants that they own mm -hmm. uh, in different areas of the state, and that does seem to be something that I've seen a lot in North Carolina, where it's also legal and you know it just seems like a solid way i think people find they can that's maybe for them at least more profitable than just going into distri big time mm -hmm. distribution mm -hmm. yeah yeah you, you know you gotta think if like you know you already have your location your brewery you know instead of opening another brewery you know you just deliver Supply your, your tap and, room, yeah. Yeah. yeah or even where you can distribute to your own outlets yeah. you don't have to you're not using a distributor at mm. least sometimes in west virginia that's a, that's okay and which means that you get more of the profit i would mm. think yeah 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 so i think that's the way to go um so i i i don't know how it does i know short stories in, in maryland and then um yeah. uh mountain state has the location in the right. creek too so I don't know if they have to go through a distributor. For oh, they that. do from out of state. Yeah, yeah. they would. Because I know us here, we don't we can self distribute in Maryland, but I think if it's a certain amount, like probably what they're bringing uh, over. Yeah, well, be. that's true. You know, I don't know what I mean. I don't know the Maryland laws, and I shouldn't speak out of, out of school here. But but yeah, if you there might be mm. a situation where they wouldn't, mm. maybe they could self distribute too. I know Screech Owl has a distributor in Maryland, and yeah. of course they're not they don't have an outlet in Maryland, so. Mm. I, I don't, yeah, I may be getting that confused. You may not yeah. have to have, you maybe yeah, yeah, could we, go direct. Yeah, so we have a license in Maryland and we can self distribute yeah. in Maryland. Um, but I think it's, I think after you sell a certain amount, then you, I think you might have to go to with a distributor. Right. I'm not too sure. So yeah. quote me on that. Uh, but I think with our name and our brand, I think the Maryland area around here could be a, a good location. Obviously, with the, you know, the uh, abolitionist John Brown kind of, so I think I could work in the, the Maryland area around here. Well, Mike, it's time to pull out your crystal ball and let's look into the future. What is your prediction of the next popular beer style explosion? Well, um, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the crispies, the, the crispy boys are already back. Um, <laughs> and you know, and then 10 years from now, you know, the milkshake will probably be back. Oh yeah. Or, yeah. You know, yeah, you, you don't – I think the Crispy Boys, I mean, we're talking the loggers and pilsners, yeah, that the, the, they are nationally, you see, but mm -hmm. still they're not dominating the craft market. You know, they're not the yeah. IPAs. Uh, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. coming up. And I think in our market, at least in West Virginia, you just, we're just starting to really – edge into that yeah uh, from at least from most of our brewers well, i think i think in the on the craft side of it i th i think it's um you know 
a lot of these breweries can't make enough of it to um, you know bring the price point down. Yeah. And you know, yeah. so I think that's the issue. Is like, so nobody really wants to pay twenty bucks for, you know, a four pack of Pilsner when, right. you know, they can get another Pilsner on the shelf, probably a twelve pack for the same price. Um, yeah, and for reasons being that that for instance, the you know making a good Pilsner or even a lot of lagers, mm -hmm. you've got to lager them for a number mm -hmm. of weeks. Yeah. a lot longer than you do an ale so that the turnaround time it's tying up tanks and a lot of small breweries mm -hmm. don't have that luxury to tie up tanks right. yeah. for very long they that's why they just want to make quick quick turnaround beers like most of the ale styles yeah the IPAs that's why I think IPAs are yeah. the most popular because you know brewers can you know push those yeah. out in a week mm -hmm. two weeks yeah and so. well, well what do you think of seltzers or the non-alcoholic beers are they really beers uh, I mean, I don't think they're beer, uh, but I, there's definitely a market <laughs> for it. But you, you see, like the seltzer markets already, you know, crashing. Yeah. I guess crashing or the bubbles falling bursting. Off, yeah, falling off. I would think. So yeah. you know, it's just like Zima. I mean, Zima had its time, and that's mm -hmm. that came back. And what was that? Like twenty years ago? Yes. 30, thirty oh, years yeah. ago. I, I thirty years ago. Remember that well? Yeah. 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 So thirty years ago, and then thirty years later. So. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna fall off. And then thirty years later, it's gonna come back. Sure. And cyclical. So it's pretty much what what Zima was. Um, but yeah, I, have you dabbled in any of these uh, more different non-beer beer styles? No, I mean I focus on the beer. Uh, we do get the uh, the uh, seltzers from uh, Parkersburg. Okay. Oh, okay. So we sell those and in those cans How? and and that's Parkersburg Brewing in Parkersburg, West yep. Virginia. So we sell those and uh, they they do pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so we want to have an offering for everybody. So we do a cider. Sure, we have sure. the cider from Malice and Winchester, which is right down the road. Um, and then we offer wine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I let the, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever want to do a seltzer. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. I'm not yeah. going to say never. Never say never. <laughs> yep. Well, Mike, before we wrap up this podcast, let's let's talk about something maybe a little humorous or something on the lighter side. Are there any anecdotes about the brewery or its customers that you could share with our listeners today? Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess that's a question I never really thought about. I guess, I mean, I liked I liked the funky stuff, and I don't know. I had a, I had a couple stories. So pretty much, so pretty much, I bring everything on to my wife, and my wife, my wife likes it. I put it on, so uh, so she's pretty much my guinea pig. That's um, a that's a good job to have. Yeah, and she so yeah she's the alpha male too. So yeah, but now all she drinks is the funky stuff. So she doesn't even want the regular IPAs. Well, palates change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I should add here that Erin and I enjoyed visiting with her. Yes, yesterday very much evening. so. Yes, yes, we we certainly did. One more thing, Mike, before we get out of here, uh, maybe a little promo for all you guys do at Abolitionist. I mean. It's not just beer here, you have food, you have lodging. What can folks who have not yet been here expect to find? Oh, almost anything, any style, I think. I, I don't know, any style they're into. Like, so if you're not into the IPAs, you're going to find something you want here. If you want to find something different, um, that's what I noticed at the beginning was, you know, I would do like one keg of like, say, strawberry peppercorn, strawberry basil, you know, peach this, you know, something. And, I, and they would sell really quick, so... Um, I do notice there's definitely a change going back for just, you know, regular beer and, and not so complicated, but I still offer a lot of that stuff. So, you know, if you want to come in try something new and that's what I, cause that's what I like to, to see when I go to a place, I like to try something different 
and you know see that you know not just the regular. I mean, sometimes I just want like a pilsner or you know, oh yeah, something light. Yeah. But I like to see, I like to see that places are you know trying something different. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So talk about your food menu. Yeah, we just do the flatbread pizzas, and you know, I tried to keep it simple. I wanted to have like a simple offering. Um, you know, uh, yeah, with the beer because you know, I would go to Northern Virginia. We we'll go to these brew pubs, and I wouldn't even call them brew pubs; they're just breweries. That yeah, and most of them don't even have food. You know, you're lucky if they have a food truck. Weekends, they'll have a food truck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just wanted to have, have a, a real food offering. and That pickle pizza is delicious. Yeah. yeah, that worked out pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I like that one, too. Well, our group here this weekend took over your uh, Airbnb upstairs over mm-hmm. the brewery. Tell us a little about that and how people can uh, find it. Yeah, you know, that it's on Airbnb. Uh, you know, you go, to, go to Airbnb, search Charlestown, it, it, it'll pop up. Uh, my brother also um, rents out a house up on the mountain, block from my house. Um, so you have the house. How many units are here he, in this building if you want to stay upstairs over the brewery? He has five here, um, which I'm not sure if they're all available right now. Sometimes mm-hmm. some might go in long-term Long leases. Long-term, sure. Um, uh, and he has a house up on the mountain, which is, you know, it has two units, the upstairs and the downstairs. And I think it's a great... It's, it's, it's great for people that, you know, want to come up from Huntington. I know yeah. it's a long drive, so we got rooms here. So that's really what I wanted. I wanted a place where, you know, people come in and experience the beer, you know, you know, and not just, you know, grabbing a six pack from the store. You know, you come in here, experience the beer and, and the, the options. And yeah, that's kind right. of, it's kind and of what I wanted. A safe option too, because if you mm-hmm. sit at the bar a little while too long, you can always just stumble back upstairs yeah. to your right. bed. And I always wanted to get the room that has the <laughs> the, the deck overlooking uh-huh. the patio. Yeah. I haven't In stayed the there yet, but I that's one of what's one of my uh, life goals. <laughs> is, uh, I think that might that be one. room two hundred one or something. Yeah, yeah. I th- yeah, that that's the one right. Yeah, right next to the one you at the top in. of the stairs. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on this episode of West Virginia Beer Roads here again in person. I'm so happy that we were able to come and actually do this in person here at Abolitionist Ale Works. So thank you so much, and we wish you the best of luck going forward. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for um, making the trip up. So, you know, good luck on the, the trip back. You know, it's definitely, definitely, definitely a hard commute. But, uh, it was worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.